Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. God bless you. You can be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Today's going to be a great day. Amen? Amen. Glad that you made the decision to come to church this morning. Man, there's, there's so many good things happening in the church all over the world, but in our church as well. I'm excited that we get to be a part of what God is doing. It's just a special time to be alive, a special time to be serving the Lord. Amen? So there's a, a lot going on in our church right now, which is a good thing. This, this is a critical time. We need, we need to be leaning into the kingdom of God and the things of God like never before. And so there's a lot going on. Three weeks from today is Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? Three weeks from, right? Am I right in that? I can't even believe it. Three weeks from today is, is in fact, Easter Sunday. And so we want to gear up for that, be thinking of people we can invite, make sure that we don't come alone, that we know on Easter Sunday there's other people here because, because we invited them. It's a special opportunity to invite people to come. We're going to do the best job we know how to do to present the gospel. It's going to be a powerful, a powerful time. So we're going to do three services, and we'll get more information to you about that. But we want to work together to make sure this place is packed, all three services, then two weeks from today, we're going to be doing baptisms and baby dedications like Pastor Jonathan mentioned. One week from today, Evangelist Tim Hall will be back with us. If you were here last, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you, were, if you were a part of those services, then you know, man, we were experiencing something special. God was moving in people's lives. People were being touched by the power of God, the Spirit of God. People were being set free. Hearts were being stirred up. Incredible testimonies of miracles, people's bodies being healed. We really sensed God was doing something special. Evangelist Tim Hall did as well, and as soon as he got back, before he even got out of the airport, when he got back to Australia, he called me and said, hey, what do you think if we, if we made arrangements, and I, and I came right back, and so we, we were excited about that. I felt, I felt good about that, and so he's coming right up. Praise the Lord. He's coming back starting next week. So I mentioned first service, it was Australian people, the whole like boomerang thing where they go away and then come right back. It's like... That's like something they live by, apparently. So we sent him to Australia. He's coming right back. So next Sunday, Pastor Jonathan mentioned one service at 10 a.m. We'll give you invite cards on the way out. We want as many people as possible to be a part of what God is doing. And then all next week, starting next Sunday, in the evenings at 7 p.m., we'll, we'll be doing services. Last week was uh, amazing with him here. Two weeks ago, uh, at the end of the service, there was a moment right at the end where the staff had put together a video and then some of them came up and said some very kind things and acknowledged that I've, I've been at the church now for 20 years. And then after the service, they had cupcakes and cake out in the lobby. It was all very, very nice. And some of you came up and said very kind and encouraging things to my wife and I. And it was all very nice, but if I'm being honest, it, it really genuinely feels more appropriate for me to be the one to say thank you to you and to just to thank our church for, for 20 amazing years and looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. Um, and so I just want to take a moment to try to express my, my thankfulness for this church, for you, for all that God is doing. When Beth and I came here, uh, we didn't know anybody. We, we didn't know a single person in the state. We didn't know anyone in, in the church 
And now the church is made up of our, our closest friends, our, our family. And so I'm thankful, not just for the opportunity to minister, but the opportunity to belong and to have friends and family and, and feel a, a part of, of the body of, of Christ. You know, our elders are amazing men of God. They, they are great, great men, genuinely. Uh, kind men, men that love the Lord, men that love you. They, they love our church. And I'm aware that there are, you know, I, I know a lot of pastors. Um, I've heard lots of stories from pastors. I know lots of people in ministry. And so I know that there are people that serve as pastors an entire career of ministry and over that their whole life. They don't have one man serving on their board or as an elder in their church that is the quality of all of the men that we have serving as, as our elders. So we're, we are blessed. The same goes for our staff. There are pastors that will lead a church their entire lives and not have one person on, on their staff that it's the, the level of the caliber of men and women that we have all, we have a whole crew of people serving this church that I get to serve alongside. So I'm, I'm genuinely thankful and I know that I'm very blessed uh, to get to have the opportunity that I do. When Beth and I came and visited the church, it was a little over 20 years ago and we came and interviewed. We were at the, the old location and the pastor he showed us around, was showing us the facility, and we went to, if you remember the old facility, the activities building um, that was going to be, you know, there, there was no youth. The church was about 80 people at the time. There was no youth group. They were going to hire me as the youth pastor. And they took me to the activities building. We went down to the basement, and the basement was uh, kind of a, a musty, um, damp basement with uh, mouse traps in every corner, um, rightfully so. And I looked around the basement, and this was where the youth were going to get to hang out, and there was some old tables from, I don't know if a Hardee's threw them away or something, some plastic-like fast food tables they got from somewhere. There was a broke-down ping-pong table with no net. There was a pool table with duct tape on it, and it was, it was slanted, so all the balls just rolled to one side. And if you did get a ball in a pocket, it just fell straight out onto the floor because something, I don't know what happened to the pockets, but they, they weren't there. And I remember looking around in that, that room and thinking, this is an absolute dream come true. And I meant it genuinely. I thought, this, this is a dream come true. We, we drove home to Delaware after interviewing, and I thought, man, it's perfect. It's absolutely no youth, stinky old basement, but I knew it was, it was perfect. I, I thought, I hope they want me because I want them. And there, there, nothing has happened over the span of 20 years to convince me otherwise. This church is a dream come true. You people are a dream come true. And what God is doing here, getting to be a part of it, is an absolute dream come true. And I'm, I'm very thankful for, for each of you. Uh, and it would be easy for me to get very emotional. And you'd have to sit there and watch me ugly cry up here. And so to spare all of us that, that moment, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. God, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I thank you for each person here. And Lord, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray for a spirit of revelation and understanding. Flood our hearts with light so we can know you more. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever not felt good 
Uh, you, you ate something bad, uh, you got the flu, something happened where you got nauseous and maybe you had to spend a couple of days not feeling good and you were the kind of sick where food, food was like gross to you. You just, you lost your appetite. But uh, as you start to recover, sometimes one of the first signs that you're on the men is that your appetite returns. And that's a good sign when your appetite comes back because it, an appetite is an indicator of health. And if you're like me, if that ever happens, when I start feeling better and the appetite comes back, there's usually two foods that, that I start craving before anything else. I don't know if anyone has, like, hey, when I start feeling better, the first thing I always want is, for me, it's either applesauce, I don't know why it just is, or, or a cheeseburger. Those are the two things. If I start feeling better, it's like, you know what? I, I believe I'm starting to feel better. I, I could go for some applesauce or a cheeseburger. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird combination. I know. I don't. Anyway. Appetite is, a, is an indication of, of health, right? It's a good thing to have an appetite, and the opposite is true as well. A loss of an appetite, having no desire, no craving, nothing sounding good, losing your appetite is an indication that something is wrong. It can be an indicator of illness to, to the point that if a mother has a baby and she realizes this baby has lost its appetite, she understands it is a problem. If the baby doesn't eat through the night, she wakes up in the morning and tries to feed it and the baby wants nothing to do with food. She's, she's on high alert. A good mom is, a, a good mom doesn't realize her baby has no appetite and says, whew, it looks like I get the day off. This is, this is wonderful. I can just sit back and relax. Looks like I won't even have to change diapers lately I, later because I, I know what eating is gonna lead to later. A, a good mom doesn't think that way. I mean, you know what? It's a good thing my baby's lost its appetite because I noticed its thighs were getting chubby. I'm, I'm tired of having to clean out between the rolls on this kid. He could, he, this kid could stand to lose a few pounds. That's not a good way, a way a good mom thinks, right? If the baby loses its appetite, probably by afternoon, that appetite hasn't returned. She's on her way to the doctor because she realized there is a major problem that needs, needs to be dealt with. A loss of an appetite, no appetite, is a red flag that something needs to be done right away. A good mom realizes that this loss of appetite threatens all future development that this baby needs to make. Not only does it threaten future development, the development that has already happened up until that point now is in jeopardy as well, that it can actually move backward because of that loss of appetite. You can't lose your appetite long enough. You can have organs start to shut down. You can begin not only not to progress like you should, you can begin to regress all because of a lack of appetite. And the same thing holds true for us spiritually. That a good appetite for the things of God, being hungry and thirsty like we just sang about, having a real genuine hunger for the things of God is an indicator of health and a lack of appetite, not having much of an interest. It is an indicator that something is desperately wrong and things need to be changed. You're under attack. Something is off and you need to do whatever necessary to restore that appetite to you. And I want to take a few moments this morning and talk about the importance of us as men and women, of us as a people of God. God is us as a church family having a hunger and a thirst for God. If you have your Bible, turn to, to Psalm 63. If you don't have an appetite for God, if you're not really hungry and thirsty, something needs to happen. Something needs to change. You need to, to wake up in the spirit. It shouldn't be like, 
uh, a relief that you can go without going to church. And uh, you know what? It's so nice. I can skip church all the time and it doesn't even bother me. I haven't read my Bible in two weeks. And it, you know what? I don't feel bad at all. That, that should be a red flag to us that something, something is off. We've got to have a hunger, a desire for the things of God. Psalm 63 verse one, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I want to continue to read, but those verses already show us some critical things. He says, oh God, you are my God. He's not just being redundant, God, you are God. I mean, what did he really say? Well, he said something that's significant because something is going to be God in your life. Something will be the object of your affection. There will be something or someone that you are pursuing in life, something you adore, something that you cherish, and it can be any number of things. David is letting God know, nothing is gonna take your place in my life. Oh God, you are my God. Success, being the king, uh, money, there's nothing else that's gonna be God in my life. Oh God, you are my God. And he says, I will earnestly search for you. I'll earnestly search for you. God, you are my God. You're you're what I'm after. You're on the throne of my life and I will search for you. He says, I'll earnestly. That means intensely. I'm serious about it. It's not some side issue. I'm taking it seriously. I'm being diligent and intentional in my pursuit of God. You know, other translations translate that word from the Hebrew Instead of I earnestly seek you, he says, I will, I will seek you early. Early will I seek you. You know, it's, it's interesting that you can pull either one of those words from, from the Hebrew word. It can either mean earnestly or early because timing matters in the things of God. That if it's really important to you, then you don't put it off. It's, if it's something that I'm going to seek earnestly, then I'm also going to seek it early. Early, I'm not going to wait until later on to seek God. I'm going to seek God right away. We can apply this to different areas. If you are a young person here this morning, early will I seek you. You will set yourself up for maximum impact, maximum fruitfulness. If you won't adopt the mindset that so many people do, that I'll get serious about the things of God when I'm 30, when I'm 40, when I'm 70, when I'm 80, I'm going to do my own thing. And then later on, I'll seek God. Early will I seek you. Right from the very beginning, early on in my life, I'm going to make the things of God a priority and I'm going to press in to the kingdom of God. David's the one writing this. What God was able to do in and through David's life to set up the kingdom of God, to set him on the throne, to be such an incredible ruler, a, a writer of scripture, the fruit that his life that his life produced. It's not disconnected from the fact that when he was a young man, he was out in the pastures writing songs to the Lord and enjoying the presence of God. Early, he, he made it a priority early in his life. Early will I seek you. We can apply it to our lives as far as timing like that. You can apply it to the way you go about handling your schedule on a daily basis. Early will I seek you. God, I'm going to get up before the sun comes up and I'm coming after you, Lord. I I want you first thing. Early will I seek for you. We can apply it to situations, decisions that we have to make. Instead of trying everything we know to do, trying to handle different circumstances in our own strength, figuring out with our own mind. No, right up front, God, I'm going to turn this over to you. Early will I seek you on how I'm supposed to handle this, what I'm supposed to do here. Early will I seek you. He says, my soul thirsts for you. You know, your soul thirsts. It's not just your mouth that thirsts. Your soul has a longing. It's going to to pursue something. 
He says, my soul thirsts. Your soul thirsts, whether you realize it or not. David realized there is a longing on the inside of me. There is a thirst on the inside of me, and I'm going to allow that thirst to drive me to you, God. I set that desire on you. My soul thirsts for you in this parched land, parched and weary land where there is no water. Verse two, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. One of the reasons he has such a desire for the Lord is because he's gotten a taste. God, I've, I've seen the way that you work in people's lives. Lord, I've experienced your presence. I've heard testimonies. I've seen the way that you touch people. I've seen the way you turn lives around. God, I've gotten a taste and I want more of you. Verse three, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. That, that, that's a significant thing to say. Your love your love is better than life itself. That sounds extreme, but if you've ever been touched by the love of God, then you know exactly what he's talking about. Better than life itself. God, I'd give anything. Nothing compares to be touched by the love, by the love of God. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Verse five, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. He goes on from there. More, more than food I desire, God, more than the richest feast. Nothing satisfies me the way that you satisfy me. Now, now again, how could David speak like this? Because he'd experienced the presence of God. And when he experienced the presence of God, it didn't quench his desire. It intensified his desire. That's the way the presence of God and the things of God work differently than how food works in the natural. That when you eat food, when you're hungry and you begin to consume food, with every bite, your appetite diminishes. Right? You, you've been really hungry before Thanksgiving Day. You can't wait to sit around the table with your family. You're, you're looking forward to it, man. You know, you're, you know what you're in for. You're going to gorge yourself. So you work up a good appetite. You can't wait to carve that turkey load up your plate with stuffing and potatoes and drizzle it all with gravy or whatever you do. And then as you eat, I mean, you, you unbutton your pants just like preemptively. You know where this thing is headed. Let's just go ahead. And we're, you know, we all know what I'm about to do here. I'm just preparing. And as you eat, you're digging in. Oh, it's so good. You're so hungry. But you can get to a point at the end of that meal where you push yourself away from the table and you don't want to think about food. You don't want to see food. You just leave everything. You don't even want to clear the table because you... If anyone even mentions turkey, you're like threatening to punch them in the mouth. Like, I, don't, I don't want to hear about it. I'm so, why? You start off so hungry, but with every bite, that appetite diminished more and more and more until your heart completely turned towards the thing that you once desired. Well, with the things of God, it works the opposite. That the more you know him, the more you want to know him. The more you experience him, the more you want to experience him. The more God speaks to you from his word, the more you want to dig into his word. God, I want to hear more. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God and in the spirit realm. So it's a, it's a danger when people start to withdraw because withdrawing doesn't intensify your appetite. It, it quenches your appetite. When people start missing church and missing their devotional time, when people don't spend time in worship or time in prayer, what happens is they don't grow hungrier for the things of God. They grow colder for the things of God. And the people that press in find themselves the most hungry and the most desperate, not in a bad way, in a good way. They come to the realization more and more it becomes increasingly clear to them, nothing satisfies me like you satisfy me. So we can say, as I turn my eyes on Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. They, they don't appeal to me anymore. All I want is you. And instead of that just being a line from a, a 
a Bible verse or a line from a song, it becomes a genuine, a genuine cry from the heart. God, all I want is you. The way that we get to that point is by pressing into the things of God. The more I know him, the more I want to know him. So David, David writes this psalm just expressing his, his desire for the Lord. Help. Hunger for God, a thirst for God, isn't just an indicator of health. It's necessary in our walk with the Lord. It's necessary for advancement. It's necessary for involvement with God. God requires desire. The way that he has set things up to function in his kingdom, it's a requirement. He requires Desire. God doesn't force himself into people's lives. Even though he wants to be involved in your situation, he doesn't force himself in. That, that's the way salvation works. It's a model for how God works. It's a model for how the kingdom of God works. God paid for everyone's salvation with the blood of Jesus. He's provided it for everyone. He desires everyone to be saved. The Bible tells us that. But he doesn't force it on people. It takes one, them hearing the gospel, but it also takes a desire. It takes a hunger. It takes a thirst. You can present the gospel to some people, and they, they can decide for themselves. I want it. I don't want it. God requires, he requires a hunger. He requires desire. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is a familiar verse. Verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We've talked about this passage before, that God is giving a prescription or a recipe of how, how to get him involved, how to get him to take action in situations. He says, if, if, that means it's, re, it's relying on us that we have a, a key role to play in whether God is moving and active and, and doing what only God can do in our situation and in our lives. He says, if, and then he starts to give requirements. We've talked about humbling ourselves when we talk about fasting. Prayer is important. But he also mentions that it hangs on people seeking him, desiring him. That prayer and seeking him aren't one and the same. That's why they're mentioned separately. He's not just talking about prayer. When he talks about seeking, he's talking about desire, that there's got to be a genuine desire. In the Hebrew, that word means to require or to beg for. If my people will require me, God, nothing else will do. I require you. I require your involvement. I have to have you in my life, you in my situation. I have to have you leading me, you guiding me. I have to know your love. I have to know your presence. I must know your fellowship to beg for it. Lord, Lord, I've got to have it. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for it. The proof of someone's passion is their pursuit. They can say that they're passionate. They can say they have desire, but if there is no pursuit, it undermines what they're saying. The proof Proof of passion is pursuit, that we really go after the things of God. And just being the people of God isn't enough for him to be active in our lives. He's talking, he says, my people, if my people, and then gives requirements. If they do these things, then I'll hear, I'll forgive them, I'll heal their land, I'll turn their situation around. Just being saved isn't enough to have God active and moving in our lives. One of the requirements is hunger and thirst, desire. We've got to have a genuine desire for God to be moving in our lives. Amen. Amen. God responds to hunger. But let me give you a few verses just, just to 
established that, that it is a requirement. God is looking for hungry and thirsty people for him to be involved and active in their life. It's, it's all through the word of God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says he rewards those who what? Who diligently seek him or who search for him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God responds to hunger. He responds to thirst. You know, your hunger, your desire in the realm of the spirit, it's like a message to God. Hunger is a voice and it lets God know what's in your heart. Uh, hunger is a message to God. God, I desire you. God, nothing else will do. I realize that apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, my life is, is worthless. Apart from you, I'm totally lost. I've got, to, I've got to have you. The psalmist said, all my fountains are in you. What in the world does that mean? It means everything that I'm thirsty for, I realize every desire I have, if I really want it to be satisfied, I, I've got to pursue you, all of my fountains, all of my satisfaction, all of my fulfillment. Nothing Nothing outside of you will ever satisfy me like you. All of my fountains are in you. That, that is a voice that God promises to respond to. Hunger is a voice God promises to hear and respond to. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Search me for all of my, with all of your heart and you will find me. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him over and over and over again. He says, if you hunger and thirst, I respond to people. I hear the voice of someone who is hungry and who is thirsty. We used to sing a song, you are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, you are my all in all. Seeking you like a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, to give, I would be a fool. You are my all in all, a desire that understands. Lord, my pursuit of you is well worth all of the energy that I have. You're my, you're my everything, Jesus. You're my everything. Hunger is a voice that God hears. But you know what? When we understand that hunger is a voice, a lack of hunger is also a voice. A lack of thirst is also a message to God. God, I, I'm okay on my own. Thank you for where you've got me, but I think I can take it from here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty satisfied. I'll just kind of, I, I can take the controls. I don't see what you can possibly offer me after this point. So I've gotten what I want from you, and now I'm just going to go on on my own. A lack of hunger is a message to the Lord. God responds to hunger. Hunger draws the presence of God. A lack of hunger repels the presence of God. You know, the, the way that God has set things up to operate, he responds to our cry. That's what the Bible says. Call to me and I'll hear you. Cry to me and I will respond. Desi it's expressing desire. When he sees desire, then God comes rushing in. But he set things up that if we don't cry to him, if we don't call for him, then he'll stand back and let us, let us have, have our way. That the way God is moving in my life, the way God's moving in your life, the way God is moving in our church family is proportionate to our level of hunger and thirst. And it's also proportionate to our lack of hunger and thirst. That, that God doesn't hold back because he doesn't want to move or he's not able to move. He's looking for people that are hungry and thirsty, people that, who have the eyes of their heart open, people that see the value in the presence of God, in the word of God, in the things of God, value in the spirit of God, that they push every other desire aside and they set their affections on the Lord and he's faithful to respond. That God is looking for those kinds of people. And I believe God's raising up people just like that in this room 
room right now in our church, people who are hungry and thirsty and say, God, whatever you're looking for, find it in me. If you're looking for someone who's hunger, who, who's thirsty for you, who's someone who just has their heart set on you, that that's what you respond to, Lord, then I will set my life up exactly like that so I, you can do whatever you want in me and through me. God is looking for people like that. Instead of people whose attitude, I'm pretty satisfied, I'm okay, holding God at arm's length, that we be people that are beckoning and calling and crying out for God, that the message from this church will be, God, we need you. We set our affections on you. We desire you because that, that desire is what God responds to. It's not just good enough for us to be his people. If my people, and then a list of requirements for him to move in their midst. Yes, we're the people of God if we've accepted Jesus. That's wonderful. That's important. But we've also got to be people that are hungry and thirsty if we want to experience a move of God and not be on the outside looking in, in this, this last move of God before Jesus returns. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus says this. It says, on the, on the last day, on the climax of the festival. Again, familiar verses. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow, will flow from his heart. Jesus stands and he's, he's calling people. He makes this announcement. Anyone who is thirsty can come to me. He's extending an invitation, but notice who that invitation is to. He's speaking to a very specific group of people. Those who are thirsty can come to Jesus. That means if you are, are not thirsty, then that invitation is not to you. Thirst, desire, hunger is a requirement. All, obviously, believing is a requirement as well, and he mentions that in the next verse. But the way he throws out this invitation is that it's very targeted to people that are thirsty. Anyone who is thirsty, that thirst, that hunger, that desire, it's like a, a ticket. It's like the price of admission coming to Jesus. That if I don't have that thirst, if I don't have that desire, then, then I'm eliminated from the invitation Jesus extends anyone who is thirsty. You know, hunger and thirst, when you talk about hunger and thirst, it's really talking about levels of dissatisfaction, being discontent. You know, when you become hungry, you start feeling that hunger in your stomach, your st tummy growls a little bit. You're discontent. You realize, I, I need to satisfy. I don't want to stay like this. I need to satisfy that, that hunger. Hunger has different levels. It, it can grow. You, you, that hunger will intensify over time. You can get to a point where you get like the shakes because you're, you're, so, you're so hungry. I don't know if anyone else gets like shaky hungry. My wife knows if I say, man, I'm shaky hungry. Just stand back and let me just kind of blaze through the kitchen, <laughs> scooping any random thing into my mouth. Because when I say I'm shaky hungry, it's like anything goes at that point. It's discontent. It's dissatisfaction. And so to look at our lives and say, God, I'm thankful for, for everything you've done in my life, but I am not content to plateau right here. I'm not content to stay the same. I want to move deeper. I want to move higher. I want to advance. I know that there's more of, more of you, that we wouldn't grow content. You know, there's a misconception sometimes, especially maybe among people that consider themselves faith people, because we know that we're complete in the Lord that we are made complete in him. And we can allow that if we're not careful to cause us to quit pursuing and hungering and thirsting. That because I'm saved, that's wonderful. Salvation is very important. 
and we are complete in him in a sense, but there's also higher and deeper that we know him as savior, but once you know him as savior, then you begin to know him as king. And there's different dimensions. Paul understood this. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse seven. Paul says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Listen to this verse. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is the apostle Paul writing this. This is after the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, that he talked about the thorn in his flesh that God had given him to keep him humble because of the incredible revelation. If anyone could say that they knew God, yeah, I know him. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He literally met Jesus face to face. If any, he traveled the world telling people about Jesus, helping other people to come to know him. If anybody could say, yeah, I know him. I know Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about him. And just kind of accept where they are in plateau. It would be the Apostle Paul. But what made him special and why God used him is because he didn't let that desire for the things of God grow cold. Even at this point in his life, after all of his experience, after the way that God led him and guided him and revealed himself to him, here he is writing to the Philippian church and says, nothing else really has any value to me compared to knowing God. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. Paul, don't you already know him? Yes, but I want to know him more. I want to draw closer. Haven't you already had some really cool like altar experiences? I think you speak in tongues and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. What else is there? I want to know him more. He knows that there's infinite value. Infinite means it keeps going and going and going. Nothing, everything is garbage compared to the infinite value, the infinite value of knowing Jesus. And as long as I can know him more, and I can, then I need to continue to press the next few verses is where he says, not that I've obtained, but I continue to press on. I know that there's deeper. I know that there's higher. There's more of Jesus I can experience. He kept that thirst alive in his heart. And that's what you and I need to do. Do I know Jesus? Yes, to some level, but I want to know him. I want to know him more. God responds to people. He, he moves in the midst of people who have a hunger and a thirst. God, I'm not content. I'm dissatisfied in a way that propels me into your arms like never before. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know him more than I know him now. He's a, he's a value. He's of infinite value. You know, the value we place on things determines our desire for them. Part of hunger and thirst has to do with value, that you desire things that you consider valuable and you have little to no desire for things that aren't valuable. So if I said that I, I was hiring and you needed a job, we were talking after service, you said, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been looking for a job. And I said, well, that's interesting. I'm actually, I'm actually, my wife and I are hiring for a cleaner right now. And he said, well, I'm not really looking to clean homes, but, you know, you, you need a job. So, yeah, okay, let, tell me about it. Is it full-time? What does it pay? I said, well, yes, it, it's, it's full-time. We're looking for full-time help. Uh, there's six of us that live in our home, and um, we're, we're really messy, and we don't pick up after ourselves. 
Unfortunately, that's not part of the analogy. That's just like confession. <laughs> and as far as pay goes, yeah, um, we're looking to hire someone. We'd like to pay like $10, $10 a month. Well, once I said that, your desire for that job would pretty much be eliminated because of the lack of value that was attached with it. But if on the other hand, I said, well, yeah, we're, we're actually looking to pay $100,000 a month. Well, then you, you would want that job. You'd just show up at my house dressed in a French maid outfit with a feather duster in one hand. You'd have a resume in your other hand of everything you've ever cleaned in your life. And you'd say, when, when do I start? Your desire would go through the roof because of the value associated with it. So placing a value on the things of God, a value on the promises of God, a value on the spirit of God, that helps to create desire. What happens in some people's lives is that they, they think that they have it all or they don't really see, think that God can can add much to them. And so their, their desire, their hunger, their thirst grows less and less and less. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to listen to anointed preaching. It opens our eyes to, to what's available, to possibilities, why it's so important to dig into the word of God and see what God wants to do in you and through you and realize that there is more. There's more. Paul knew that there was more and it kept desire alive. He valued and he realized that there was more. Knowing that there is more, there's more keeps us moving forward. A few years ago, when we were looking for a home before we were able to move to where we, we live now, we, we looked at a lot, of different, a lot of different homes. And when you're looking at homes, you know, you see something online, or your real estate agent says, hey, take a look at this house, and you're looking at papers and stuff, and there's a desire to see the house. There's a curiosity level that you, you desire to go and see it. And you start looking around the house, right? You're looking from room to room, go down and see the basement, once you've seen the entire house, really your curiosity has been satisfied. So that desire has been quenched. But if the real estate agent said, oh, you know what, there's actually another floor, well, then it would reignite curiosity and would reignite desire. Once you think that you've seen it all, what else is there to be desirous of? And that applies to the things of God as well. When people think that they've experienced all that there is, there's salvation. And then if you really want to press in and be an extremist, you can uh, press in for baptism of the Holy Spirit, sputter a few words in tongues, and then it's pretty much flatlining until Jesus returns. That, that, that quenches people's desires. That there, there's more to know of God. There's more development, pressing in. Paul realized as much as he had experienced, there, there was more. And Jesus was of infinite value to him. Faith gives us access but oftentimes people lack the desire to take advantage of that access. And it can make God seem like a liar. When you see a promise from the word of God or somebody even gives you a word, it can make things seem false. It can make them seem off. It can make them seem like, like lies. If there's not adequate hunger to pursue the thing that's been made available. If I said, hey, I was up all last night. I had you on my heart. So I stayed up all night making cookies. And before you leave, back in the back of the lobby, you can stop and grab a cookie. You know, just because I've made it available doesn't mean you automatically receive a cookie, right? Even if you believe, even if you have faith, I believe. I believe he did make cookies. He's covered in flour. He looks like he's been up all night. I know he's an excellent baker. I believe, I believe he made cookies for us. Well, even that faith, that you don't automatically get a cookie. You've got to have adequate desire that would move you to go back 
and claim that cookie for yourself, not just drive home thinking I'm a liar because you don't have a cookie on your lap. Well, you didn't have adequate hunger, adequate desire to go and access what had been made available. So, so faith is important. We need to have faith. Faith, we, we've talked about that a lot. It opens up possibilities. It also takes desire to go and lay hold of what has been made available. We've got to keep that hunger and thirst alive in our lives and the desire, the longing, like we read in Psalm 63, to keep it focused on the Lord, to keep all of our longings, something that propels us deeper into the things of God and not allow it to pull us off track and to begin to pursue the things of the world. Look at an example of that in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. Anybody with me? Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse two, it says, there was no water for the people to drink at that place. So they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. This is just one of many examples of the Israelites as they're going through the wilderness beginning to complain, complain against Aaron and Moses. They complain against God. And in this situation, they have a longing. They have a desire on the inside of them. And it's a valid longing. You know, there are some desires that we have. God puts desires in our hearts, desires that are, are valid desires that we have. But they felt this desire and they blamed God for it and they allowed it to become something that drove a wedge between them and God when it wasn't really God's fault. God was the solution to that desire. In fact, later in this chapter, it's one of the times where God makes water come out of a rock. He was the solution. He was the satisfaction of that desire. But they allowed this desire to turn their heart and long for Egypt, which is a picture of the things of the world. They begin to long for the world instead of realizing, Lord, whatever I'm longing for, I need to use that to be something that drives me to you because I know all of my fountains, all of my satisfaction is in you. This happens to people a lot. Just as an example, someone who's serving the Lord and they want a spouse, but they haven't found that spouse yet. They can begin to become bitter towards the things of God. God, it's because of you. It's because of you, my dedication to church, while I'm always there, I'm serving all the time, that I don't have a spouse. And if they're not careful, they can allow that to pull them off track. And I'm, I'm just gonna begin to pursue a man. I'm gonna start pursuing a woman. I'm just gonna do things the way the world does. Everyone else has a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Everyone else has a spouse. And they, they can allow it to pull them off track instead of being a desire that propels them closer to the Lord. Lord, I know that your word says you're the one that made the marriage covenant. He who finds a wife finds, finds a good thing. So Father, instead of going going off track and running after what I desire, I'm going to allow what I desire to be reason to run after you harder than I ever had before. I know your word says, if I seek your kingdom with all of my heart, everything else will be added unto me. So whatever desire we have, it's success, business, money, relationship, family, whatever it is, instead of it being something that pulls me away from the Lord, let that be a desire that propels me deeper into the things of God. And your behavior, your the way you behave, reveals what you're hungry for. Whether you've allowed something else to take the place of God in your life. 
that the things that should be propelling you deeper to the, and closer to the Lord, you allow it to cause you to pursue something else and not be like David that said, God, you are my God. Because other things can be your God. You can look to other things to satisfy. Have you ever been trying to spend time praying and you think you hear your phone buzz and so you almost break your neck scrambling to get to your phone to see who's, who's texting you? So eager to have someone speak to you, to, so eager to have someone communicate that you just pause what you're saying to God and get on. You're hungry for something. You're hungry for interaction. You're hungry to hear someone speak to you. You're hungry for communication. And instead of that hunger propelling you, but forget my phone, God, what I want to hear comes from you. What I want to say, I want to say it to you. I want to pour my heart out to you. Your behavior reveals where your hunger is. Have you ever been trying to spend time in the word of God? Try to give God's word 15 minutes of your attention. Look up something on your phone for a moment and just realize, oh my gosh, it's been an hour and a half that I've been scrolling on, on Instagram. You can accidentally give it your attention when it's difficult to give 15 minutes to the word of God. You're hungry for something. You're hungry for revelation. You're hungry to see something you haven't seen before. And instead of that hunger propelling you towards the things of God, you start looking other places for it. Our behavior reveals where our hunger is. You know, there are some people, no one here, there are some people that come to church not because they're hungry for God and his presence. They're hungry to not feel guilty about missing church. He said, God, I'm hungry for you. He said, I'm just hungry to be seen in church. There are people that will come to church and be hungry to get out of here as soon as possible. That if I said, hey, can we just take some time to wait on the Lord? What if we took 15, 20 minutes? We're just going to wait on the Lord. They don't have time for that. They'd get out of here and get to the restaurant and put their name on the wait list and be happy to sit and wait 45 minutes for a table. But they didn't have time to wait 20 minutes in the presence of God. What, what are we hungry for? Not, not just, we, we all know, if I said, how many are hungry for God? Everyone would raise their hand. But really, am I genuine? Lord, I hunger and thirst for you. My soul longs for you in this dry and weary land where there's no satisfaction outside of you or have I allowed myself to be deceived thinking I can find satisfaction on my own, in the things of this world. It's all deception. God wants to open the eyes of our heart and stir up that kind of hunger and thirst because he wants you. God desires you. He wants to move in our midst. He wants to do amazing things. What he's looking for is people that have the hunger that would allow him to come in. He wants to open the eyes of our hearts to see clearly all my fountains are in you, God. Everything I've ever longed for, the satisfaction is not found outside of the presence of God. So a few, ways, a few ways that we can keep ourselves hungry and thirsty. We, we've mentioned them. I'll just kind of reiterate them. One is to be aware that there's more. There's more. Whoever knows the Lord the most in this room, and I don't know who it is, whoever that is, there, there's more. There's more. Nobody has peeked out. There, there is more to God. There's more things he wants to show you, more things he wants to do in your life, more fruit that he wants to bring forth in you, more things he wants to do in you and through you. There's a deeper place of intimacy. There is always more. We need to realize that. Keep that in our understanding. You can be around people. The people you are around help foster a hunger and a thirst when you're around other people that love the Lord with all their heart. Spend time with people that love God and are hungry. It's infectious. Friday night, I took a little bit of time just with some, some guys to pursue the Lord. Spent some time just talking about the things of God. Spent some time praying worshiping the Lord. You know, spending time with those men stirred up my heart 
It it fostered hunger and thirst. As you see other people loving the Lord, it does something. In worship, people going after the Lord, you look around, see people pouring out their heart to God. It does something to you. It it, it infects you. God, I I want you too. I see how he wants you. I see how she wants you. God, I desire you. I see you're valuable. It helps direct our hunger and thirst towards the things of God. That's why participating in worship is important. You're worshiping God. You know your worship ministers to the people around you as it ministers to the Lord. It becomes difficult to worship in a room where everyone's just scrolling on their phone and they don't, they don't really care. Spend time with people that love, that love the Lord. We already mentioned, listen to anointed preaching. Spend time in the word of God. Another thing is you're reading the word of God, becoming aware of what's possible. When you become aware of things, possibility, I, man, I didn't know that was possible. You, it, it stirs up a hunger and a desire. God, you can, you can use me like that. I want that. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that with someone. I want you to do that with me. You read stories of great men and women of God. God, you, can, you would use someone like that? I want that. I want to be used like that. Well, one of my favorite examples is in 2, 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I don't know if you've ever read this passage of scripture. It inspires me. It stirs up something on the inside of me. It makes me hungry. It makes me thirsty. It's talking about David's mighty men. Men of valor. Gibberim in the Hebrew. Verse 8, it says, These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Joshobim, the Hakmonite, who was the leader of the three the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used a spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eliezer, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoah. Once Eliezer and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army didn't return until it was time to collect the plunder. Verse 11, next in rank was Shammah, son of Agi from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. He goes on from there talking about the things that these great men, these warriors, these men, men of valor, mighty men did for the kingdom of God and for King David. They, they did things like stand ground and refuse to allow the enemy to, to claim ground that belonged to the people of God. They fought the enemy back. They protected the people of God. They advanced the kingdom of God. Well, I read stories like that, man, it does something on the inside of me. I want to be a man like that, that at the end of my life, people could read the story of what I did and it would stir up a hunger in them like this stirs up a hunger in me. God wants to use you like that, that the story of your life would spark something in anyone who heard about it. God, the way you used him, God, the way you used her, I want to turn my life over to you so I could be, I could be a person like that, a man like that, a woman like that. How in the world though, did these, these mighty men, how did they get to this level? What, what brought them to this point where God could use them in such a powerful way? We turn back to 1 Samuel, 
chapter 22, starting in verse one, it says this. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Listen to this. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. Where did those mighty men come from? The men that went to David, it says everyone who was in distress or in trouble, everyone who was in debt, man, I'm in over my head. I need, I need help. And everyone who was discontented, everyone discontent, that's hungry. That's thirsty. I don't, I don't like the way things are. I, I'm not happy the way things are going. I want things to be different. I know that there's more. I know it doesn't have to be this way. I'm not content living like this. All of those people went out to David. It doesn't say all the bravest all the best with a sword, all the people that had the ability to kill 800 men in one battle with a spear. It doesn't say that about them. It says they were troubled, they were indebted, and they were discontented. And those are the people that went out to David. You know, David's a type of Christ. David's a type of Christ. Those people went out to him and he took a bunch of discontented, hungry, and thirsty people and turned them into mighty warriors going out to David, changed their lives and helped them reach their potential. That instead of just being ho-hum people that lived their life in Jerusalem or wherever it was they were living, now we're reading their names in this book this morning. They became a, 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 a record of scripture, what God did in them and through them because their discontent refused to allow them to stay the same. Were there other people that lived in Israel that, that, at that time that had potential, that God could have done something? Absolutely. There's other men that probably could have done even more with swords and spears. But what kept them from reaching their potential was that they were, they were okay. They were satisfied. They were content. I'm okay just to keep on. I know things aren't great, but whatever. You know, what am I supposed to do about it? I'll just, I'll just learn to deal with it. I'll just kind of roll with it. That's the way life goes. They, they pacified themselves. They, they allowed themselves to become content with the way things were. And it took people who were discontent. I, I can't stay like that. I know that there's something better that drove them out to be with David, that drove them to turn their lives over to Jesus, this type of Christ. God wants to raise up people like that now, that if their discontent would drive them to Jesus, drive them to Christ. God, take my life and do something with it. I know there's more. My life can produce more than it's producing. I know I can experience more than I'm experiencing. Just like Jesus said, all who are thirsty, would you come to me? If you're thirsty, come out to me. And what does he say he'll do? I'll, I'll make it so there are rivers of living water flowing out of you. You're thirsty and you come to me. Not only will you find fulfillment, I will make you a blessing to everyone around. That's what David did with those men. It's a picture of what Jesus wants to do in your life. But how we get from where we are, how we get from where we are right now to where Jesus wants us to be, it's hunger. It's thirst. It's discontent. God, I know there's more. I know there's more. I'm, I'm not going to take the easy path, the path of least resistance. I'm just going to... Let my life, it's not so bad. I mean, things are okay. Your, your lack of hunger is a voice to Jesus saying, stay back, stay back. Just leave things as they are. Instead, this morning, let's let a, a, a sound of hunger and thirst, a, a crying out to God, a voice that he hears that he's faithful. He's faithful, faithful to respond to that cry of hunger, that cry of thirst. It, it, it would emerge from us this morning.
like Paul. Lord, I thank you that all that I know of you, I want to know Christ. I want to know you more. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you more. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.